Good morning all. Hope you've had a good week. The Life of Christ is the study that we're looking at, the series that we're looking at. This is part five. We've looked at the life of Christ with regard to prayer, love, forgiveness and servanthood. That was Rob Day last week. Talk to us about that. And today, it's facing opposition. If you haven't sort of got the gist of that, it's a theme this morning. I'd like to look at this topic this morning under three headings. Here we go. My wife's going to kill me when I get home. She told me this would happen. Why opposition? She tried really hard to persuade me not to have a PowerPoint. Why opposition? From whom? And how the Lord handled it. Very important, uh, those three aspects. And we're going to use as our text this chapter 15 and 16. And I don't know whether you have a Bible similar to mine, a red letter edition, but you'll notice that it's written in red. That's because these are the Lord's words. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture this morning because what I'd like to do is allow the Lord to speak to you this morning through his own words. Now, I know that the word of God is God's word and it's what he wants us to know. But, you know, when when you come across the red letters, the red writing, that's the Lord actually speaking. And he's speaking here to his disciples, you and me. That's really important. I think that's really important. So... Opposition, facing opposition. The word oppose means these three things. To act against or provide resistance to, to combat. Two, to stand in the way of, to hinder, to obstruct. Three, to set as an opponent or an adversary. And four, to antagonise or to be hostile. That's what it means to oppose. So when did it all start? When did it start for the Lord, this opposition? Well, straight after he was born. That's what the scriptures say. Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 15, you have the account there of Herod, King Herod, making a decree for all the baby boys under two years of age to be put to death. Opposition, an adversary. An enemy. So, what did the Lord do to cause that? How old was he? At best, he would have been 18 months old. What could he have done to deserve such a, an anger, an antagonism, a hatred towards him? I mean, I've got a 20 month, 21 month old granddaughter, and all you can do to her is kiss her and hug her. And yet, there was a great wail in Israel at this time because all the baby boys put to death. And this opposition continued into his adult life. Now, if you went to Bible college or if you read any books by theologians, they've broken up the, the Lord's public ministry into three 
years. You know, it was about three and a half years he had this public ministry. And they've given a, a, a heading for each, each separate year. The first year was the year of inauguration. The second year was his year of popularity. And his third year, the year of opposition. But let me tell you, it wasn't just a 12-month period. The Lord faced opposition every day of those three years, every day. You look through the Gospels, and that definition that I gave you of, of oppose or opposition, he, he faced that every single day. And I guess Calvary is the, is the apex of that opposition, wasn't it? Put to death. If, if, you, if you've watched the, 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 the movie The Passion, graphic pictures of, of the suffering, the beating, the crown of thorns. You could see the agony. And then the nailing. You know, the nailing of those spikes. The ultimate, the, the apex of, of, of opposition. But you know, it didn't end there. You'd think that, oh, I put him to death, that's it, finished, gone, done. In Matthew 28, 11 to 15, the, the authorities were so concerned about this man Jesus that they bribed the guards that they had there to, to say that, uh, oh, well, you know, he didn't actually rise from the dead. His disciples, his followers stole the body. Of course, that wasn't true. So there's more opposition. And then you think, well, okay, dead, buried, you know, the Lord ascended into heaven. You think that would be the end. It's got to be the end. I mean, he's not even here anymore. Well, Acts chapter 4, after Pentecost, after the spirit of Jesus Christ came and indwelt believers, straight after that in Acts chapter 4, the two main leaders of, of the Christian movement, John and, and Peter, were thrown into jail. Straight away. Soon as soon as, as what we call the church being established, chapter 4 of Acts, the two leaders in jail. Didn't have to be China. And you know what? The opposition is still going on strong today, as we've heard this morning, not just in China, but in Montmorency, in your life and in mine, if you are a believer. Still strong today. So we're going to use this text this morning to, uh, to look at these things here. The Lord came to be the saviour of man and mankind, in a few weeks, uh, the seniors are starting early by having a Christmas dinner next week, but in a few weeks you're going to hear about this, this event, Christmas. In Luke chapter 2, verses 10 to 11, it tells us that the birth and the coming of Jesus was good news. It was good news. It was something of great joy and it was for all people. But let me tell you something. It does not say that he came to bring peace. It doesn't say that. In chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, it says this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men 
on whom his favour rests. Now, what does that mean? It simply means that peace is only granted to those who God favours. And God only favours people who repent. He favours them with grace and peace. So the Lord Jesus did not come to bring peace to the world. He didn't do that. So if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Saviour, you have peace. If you haven't, let's have a look at what it says in Luke chapter 12, verse 49, written in red. I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Doesn't sound like a very peaceful situation, does it? In fact, it probably sounds like your house. Sometimes it used to sound like our house when we had kids. And in John chapter uh, chapter 9, it says this, verse 39, For judgment I came to this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And so you can see that the Lord didn't come specifically to bring peace. He came to save, to save sinners from the wrath of God, from the judgment of God. And if you accept that salvation, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour and repent of your sins, God forgives you and he gives you peace. If you don't do that, no peace. So please don't think that that, uh, that's what the Lord came to do. Contrary to popular belief, Jesus Christ was not liked, nor was he well received by, by most. And, and, I, and I want to just highlight a couple of verses in that text that we read. This is the Lord. He'd been on, on the earth about 30 odd years. Yeah, he lived, you know, mixed with people, neighbours, friends, shopkeepers, you know, all those people. And this is what he said. Verse 18, they hated me first. They persecuted me, for they don't know the one who sent me. Hate's a very strong word, don't you think? The Lord said, they hated me. What did he do to to, to cause that hatred? Did he kill anybody? Did he harm anybody? Did he cheat anybody? Did he abuse anybody? Did he rip anybody off? What did he do? They just didn't not like him. They just didn't think that he was a good religious leader. They hated him. That's a strong word. 
in verse 22 of the text that gives us a clue as to why they hated him. It says, um, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. Have you ever tried to witness to somebody as a believer, as a Christian? When I first got saved, I was so keen to tell all my mates that I was a Christian, that I became a believer, that I've trusted Jesus Christ as my saviour. Really keen. I think I think I think it was about three months into my new life, all my friends had gone. No more contact. They didn't want to talk to me. They wouldn't invite me to the outings. Gone. Things usually start off well. You know, you tell them that, you know, you know, you know, I, I, I've discovered that, that I needed something in my life. Like, like that, that lady that had, you know, the, the good job that you, in China, the good job, the, the money, the cars, great life. But there was something missing. And you, and you can just hear her telling her, her mum and dad, you know, I found the meaning of life. That's, people say, oh, good, 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 good. And things go really well until you mention the word sin. And then you suddenly, they take a little, they start to lean back, sin. And then when you mention not just sin, but that they're a sinner, that they are a sinner, well. And then when you actually explain to them what happens to those people who remain in their sin, it it just goes downhill, doesn't it? That's why they hated the Lord Jesus. He didn't kill anybody. He didn't abuse anybody. He didn't rip anybody off. Just told them the truth. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced how people lovingly embrace the truth? Huh? We would rather people lie to us, our politicians, our leaders, our family members. The Lord said that, you know, the truth will set you free. Oh, man. I keep thinking of this movie I watched. I've mentioned it here before. Jack Nicholson. Tom Cruise. Jack Nicholson's on, on, on the stand, on the, on the uh, witness stand, and Tom Cruise is the, is the, the uh, lawyer, and it's about the, the contra arms deal in America. Now, that's not important. And you know he's being questioned about what was actually going on, and 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 Tom Cruise says we want the truth, and Jack Nicholson said you can't handle the truth, and that's true, you know we can't handle the truth. That's why they hated Jesus Christ. That's why they hated the Lord. In John chapter nineteen, uh, chapter three, sorry. I know it's, I'm going over all over the place, but the scriptures just speak for themselves. Again, written in red. These are the Lord's words. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the verdict. Light came into the world, 
But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, hates the light, and will come uh, and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. And that's the reason they hated him. That's the reason he faced opposition. He exposed, he exposed what they were like. If Jesus came into the room, people became uncomfortable. He didn't have to say anything. They knew what he stood for. He knew what he had said down at the marketplace. He knew what he said at the, at, at, the, at the synagogue. He knew what he stood for. They'd heard him preach before. It made him feel uncomfortable. Chapter 15 and verse 25. I can almost hear the pain in the Lord's voice when he says this. They hated me without reason. That's what it says. That's what the Lord said. They hated me without reason. How much pain do you think that would have caused the Lord? That's what he he saw when he looked around. Without any reason. Most of you know that we've got two little girls, not not granddaughters. Two, they're not little girls now; they're big girls. They're mums, but we've got two daughters, Tiffany and Kim. Tiffany was almost the perfect child. She wasn't perfect, but she was almost. She was so good, so compliant, hardly got into trouble. Kim, we haven't got enough time to talk about Kim, but you know. <laughs> But I'm, telling, I'm going to tell you this little story. It just stands out. You know, the, the odd time, and really you could number them in this, on this hand, the number of times Tiff got into trouble while she was at home. She left when she was nearly 21 to get married. And, and you know, Kim, well, if we all put up our hands like this, there still would not be enough hands to count. But anyway, but when Tiff got into trouble, this was Kim at the dinner table. Her eyes, you know, Tiff's in trouble. And I can remember like it was yesterday, Tiff got into serious trouble one day. And Kim Kim was just over the joy on her face. And, you know, she said, and Tiff, Tiff I sent off, Tiff, go to your room, Tiff, you know, because sometimes I have to do that for, her, for me to get control. And Kim was sitting at the dinner table saying, so what are you going to do to Tiff now, Dad? <laughs> you know why? Because we hate do-gooders. We do. We hate them. We don't like people that show us up. They don't do it deliberately. Tiff didn't do it deliberately. That's her nature. She's still like that. We hate the do-gooders. We hate the people that live well. The people that, that, that behave like they should. The people that care. The people that love. The people that show us up. And when the Lord was here, that's what he did. And they hated him for it. From whom did the Lord face opposition? Very simple. Everybody. Everyone. 
everyone, the authorities, the rulers, the governors of the day, the religious leaders. You know there were two groups of religious leaders, the Pharisees and, and, and the Sadducees. They saw eye to eye on nothing at all except they hated Jesus. They hated the Lord. His friends and neighbours, you know, it, the Lord again said that, you know, a prophet in his own town, he's, there's no honour for him. The people he grew up with, the, I don't know if they had a school, but, you know, where, where, where he got educated, the playground and all, they hated him too. His fellow Jews, his family opposed him. And even the disciples. If you read the, 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 the Gospels, you'll see the disciples, they opposed him. They hindered him. They obstructed him. And in chapter 12 of Luke that we read there, the Lord tells us that the Gospel will divide, not unite. It will cause conflicts. So the question is, how, how did the Lord handle this? How did the Lord handle this opposition? Now, I don't want you to think, I don't want you to think that the Lord had no feelings, that he was like a robot or... He was upset when, when people opposed him. You know, he, he, he went onto a mountainside and he looked over Jerusalem and he, said, and he cried out. He, he wept over Jerusalem. Because they, they had rejected him. They opposed They wouldn't accept him. Isaiah chapter 53 tells us that the Lord was prepared for this opposition. He knew it was coming. Isaiah 53 tell, told the Lord that he would not be believed. He would not be, uh, there would be no beauty about it. There would be no attraction to the people uh, physically or otherwise to, to, to the people. He would not be desired by the people. He would be despised. He would be rejected. It, that he would be shunned. It says they're hid from him. They, they would esteem him not. They wouldn't value him. He knew all that. He was prepared for it. He would, we see the Lord in Gethsemane, don't we? And he knew what was coming up. He was telling the disciples all along what, what his ultimate fate would be. They opposed him. They wouldn't believe him. His own disciples. And in Gethsemane, we, we see the anguish. We, we sung about it. We see the anguish of this man. Because he was a man as well. He felt the opposition. He felt the isolation. He felt that he was despised and rejected and abandoned. He felt it. So he knows what it's like. How did the Lord handle it? Well, he, he, he was realistic, I think. He knew he had enemies. He knew he had enemies. And when you have enemies, you need to have defence. You need to have a defence. And so that we see the Lord using the scriptures. This is why I'm reading them to you this morning. The, the words that he said. In the wilderness, you know, the greatest opposition you could have is Satan. 
the adversary, not an adversary, the adversary, went and, and opposed Jesus Christ, tried to stop him from doing what God required of him. And, and the Lord used the scriptures, the truth, to, to defend himself from that. And he used it against the religiously when they opposed him. What did he say? He didn't say, ah, oh, yeah, you guys don't know. No, he, 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 he used the word of God. He used the truth. And that's what we read about this morning, didn't we? The, the Lord says that, that the, the truth will be, will be given to us. And here's something else that you probably haven't realised, that, that he communicated with God through prayer. Now, you know, let me tell you something. We only read that he, he went away to a quiet place to pray with his father. We never enter into the Lord's private prayer. There's only one occasion. That's in chapter 17 of, of, this, of this gospel. But most of the time we don't hear the Lord speaking to the father. And when you do... When you do have a recorded thing, it tells us that the Lord even says, I ask this, Father, for their benefit so they can hear it, so they can respond. You don't hear the personal prayers of the Lord. The Garden of Gethsemane is probably the only time that we get a glimpse of what a personal prayer between the Lord and his Father was like. The emotion, the pain, the anguish, just in that little little prayer in Gethsemane. And then, of course, he was resourced by God. He was resourced by God. That was his defence. He had the truth. He spoke the truth. So what's the application? The time is just about gone. What's the application of this for you and me today? The opposition, as I said, is still present. still present why is it still present because nothing has changed absolutely nothing has changed men still sin men are still evil men are still greedy men are still selfish and so on we reject and we rebel against God and and we we, we prefer to live in disobedience to God than into obedience and and there is judgment for that and that's why there is opposition. People know this. They know this. That's why they hate us. You know, some family members, some families accept are more accepting of drunks, of of, of uh, relatives who who do drugs and you know live immorally than a Christian member of the family who tries to live their life according to the scriptures. I know this because I have experienced it myself. When I went home at the age of 21 and told my mother, who was, who was educated by nuns, Roman Catholic nuns, that I was a Christian, I was devastated. That, sorry, my mum was devastated. She was devastated. When I told my dad, he, he, he didn't take much notice. He didn't like the Catholic Church. When I told my brother... He says, how could you do that, Ralph? You're a Roman Catholic. And I told my mates, they left me. 
Now, what had happened? What had happened? I hadn't changed that much, really. So from whom do you and I have this opposition? Just like the Lord, from everybody. Absolutely everybody. It's already been mentioned here this morning. From the government, making it harder for us to live our face. In the schools, no RE. Try and stand up and pray in school. Workplace, you notice that there are no Christian prayer rooms. Never had Christian prayer room. Ever. Interesting. In our places of employment, harder to live out your faith. Some religions and some cults attack us when we, when we try and expose their, their false teachings, when we question their teachings, their doctrines. Society thinks we're lepers, fanatics, self-righteous when we talk about you know, the effect that divorce and, 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 and the, the way we, we do family life, how detrimental it's been when we talk about gay marriage, all those sort of things. You know, we're, we're ridiculed and, and despised. Our neighbours, our, our friends, our, our, our workmates, here's, a, here's a, a little challenge for you. When they ask you tomorrow at work, how was your weekend or what did you do on the weekend, how comfortable would you be to say, I went to church on Sunday and I heard this, well, maybe, maybe it's not a great sermon, but at, at other times when, when, you hear, when you hear a good sermon, how often have you gone to work and said, I heard a great sermon on, on Sunday? When was the last time you felt comfortable to do that? Maybe Brendan, because he works with a Christian boss, but anyone else? Family members. We get opposition from family members. We do. We like to share our faith with them, but as the years go on, we become reluctant because of the responses we get from them. You know, they invite us to different things, different functions and different venues and we go because we're family. We put up with different things because we're family. When was the last time you invited them and they came to church with you? If you are lucky, really, really lucky, they may come to a carol service Maybe an Easter, if you are really, really fortunate. Maybe. And this is sad because we, oft, we also face opposition from our fellow believers. It's not surprising the Lord felt, faced opposition from his disciples. It's sad, but it happens. Fellow believers, we have we have often have differences of opinions on worship, on doctrine, and, and the songs that we sing, and you know whether we use you know, wine or grape juice, what sort of bread we use. Do you know the reason there are so many denominations, Christian denominations, because of opposition with one another, divisions. The Lord told us about that too. So how are we to handle this? Well, just like the Lord. We have to expect it. The Lord has warned us about it here. 
And I haven't got time. I was going to read Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 and on. That's very similar to this. And it talks about, it talks about the opposition that we're to be, we're, we're to face. And the Lord says he, he warns them what they, what to expect. And the reason for that is like here in chapter 16, verse 1, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. In other words, being forewarned is forearmed. That means knowing the problem or situation in advance, one is able to, to deal with it when it comes up. Now, we don't have to like the opposition. We don't have to enjoy it. We have to expect it though. We have to be ready for it. We have to be prepared, just like the Lord was. In chapter 16, verse 13, we didn't read it, but it talks about the Lord giving us the Holy Spirit, sending the Holy Spirit to help us. That's a tremendous resource, you know. In Romans 8 and verse 9, it talks about this Spirit as the Spirit of Jesus Christ. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Do you know what happens to you when you become a believer? The instant that you repent and you ask the Lord to forgive you, you know what happens? The Spirit of Jesus Christ comes and lives in you. Amen? That's true. Is it any wonder they hate us? And he goes on to say, if you belong to the world, it would, it would love you as its own, but you don't belong to the world anymore. He says, he says there, I have chosen you. That is why the world hates you. So because we have the spirit of Jesus Christ, that's why they hate us. And then, and then in chapter 17, again, it's in, written in red, read it for yourself, the Lord prays a prayer to protect you and me. He's disciples. The Lord asks his Father specifically to protect you and me. Do you think that God will honour that prayer? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very compelling, isn't it? Very compelling, the, uh, the parallels between the, uh, between the opposition that we, that we uh, suffer. Oh, here we go. Oh, no. I'm, gonna, I'm in so much trouble when I get home. Can I have the last slide? Can you help me, please? I'm never going to have a PowerPoint again, I promise. I'm doing it in public now, Pauline. All right. Oh, okay. So, so the parallels between the Lord's opposition and ours are so compelling, so similar because we have Jesus Christ living in us. That's why they hate us. That's why we have to expect the opposition. So I want to leave you with this little verse. Again, it's not. I should have written it in real. Now that I think about it, this should be in red, shouldn't it? The Lord said, "I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace." Amongst in amongst all this opposition, all this conflict, all this all this animosity towards us, we can go into this world in peace because we're in Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. In this world, you will have trouble. 
he says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Isn't that a blessing? Isn't that comforting to know that in spite of what will happen tomorrow, the trouble we may get into tomorrow because we belong to him, the Lord says, take heart, I've overcome the world. They hated me first. But the Lord, you know, he loves us and his father loves us. You know why? Because we belong to him.